I want to remind you all that we have a Christmas worship video on Christmas Eve that you can tune into. It'll be uploaded onto our website. And so whenever you're ready throughout the day, you can just tune onto our website and there'll be a worship service that you can watch with your family. Just wanted to remind you that that'll be available. And so I want to start by telling you a story. I think that for most of us, there's this phase that we go through whenever we're younger where the opposite sex to us is gross. So if you're a girl, boys are gross. Or if you're a boy, girls are gross. And we talk about, you know, the other person having cooties and you would like walk over and wipe your girl cooties on a boy or your girl germs. And that was like a really big deal. And I think most of us sort of go through that phase of life. I never really did. I can remember for as long as I can remember that I thought that boys were pretty cool. And so we can talk about where that stems from and what that came from another time. That's a different conversation, but the fact remains. And so I can always remember liking boys. And so in high school, that grew up with me. And in high school, I always really wanted male attention, um, but there really wasn't any. I didn't have any boyfriends. I never really dated anyone. Um, and it really didn't take much for me to decide that I was in love. So if you were a boy and I passed you in the hall between classes and you said my name, pretty much by the end of my next period, I was kind of like doodling our names beside each other in the margin of my notebook. It really, really didn't take much. And so as that kind of went along with me into college, by the time people get into college, boys sort of recognize that girls who really want male attention are accommodating or can be. And so what that meant is that all of a sudden, boys were sort of interested. And so I went through a string of relationships where boys would come and show some interest in me. And like I said, it didn't take much for me to fall. Um, and then very shortly after, they would get bored and the relationship would end. And so there was multiple of these. Um, and then finally, after a little while, while of that, I decided that I was done, that I did not want to do that anymore. And so I decided that I would just not date, that if God wanted me to be married, then he would have to tell me pretty clearly. Um, and until then, I wasn't going to think about it. I wasn't going to date. And so that whole time of my life, the not dating part, I kissed dating goodbye for those of you who are 80s, 90s kids. Remember that book? I didn't date. And so for those whole two years, lots of really cool things happened. I made deeper friendships. I um, started uh, leading a small group. I recommitted my life to Jesus in a way that I hadn't before. I really made Jesus king of my life and realized that I'd been sort of living for myself and I wanted to live for him. Um, I found that there were young men who actually loved Jesus and that wasn't just a myth and not a real thing that happened. And so I began some friendships with these people. Um, and so a lot of really amazing things happened in those two years of waiting. But as I think back to that time, I was sad and scared a lot of the time. 
now I can look back and think, man, God was really using that. God was really moving in my life. But if I remember how I felt then, I was worried that I would never have a spouse and that I would be single my entire life. And that wasn't that what I wanted. And so for a lot of time, I missed what God was doing because I was thinking about what he might not do or what might happen in the end. So that whole time of waiting, which I think was really a gift from the Lord, was spent in sadness and in worrying and in being afraid a lot of the time. And so maybe you aren't waiting for a spouse. Maybe you are. But I think a lot of us are not. But maybe you've waited for someone who's in surgery and thinking through how that feels whenever the person goes back and, you know, the doctor comes and talks to you and tells you what they're going to do. And then the person's gone and you're just waiting, imagining what could be happening, what could go wrong. And if the doctor tells you they're only going to be an hour and suddenly you don't see anyone for two hours, you get really scared. You start to wonder, is it going to be okay? What's happening? Did the worst thing happen? Or maybe you have kids or have observed kids. Um, and the one thing about kids is that around 15 or 18 months, they start to understand a little bit the difference between right and wrong. And so as a parent, you sort of engage that and try to discipline them to learn what's good and what's bad, what's the right thing to do and what's the wrong thing to do. And so as a parent, you're doing all these things, trying to help them the best you can. But it takes a while before those things start to click. And so there's this waiting period of like, is this even really working? And then finally, you start to see that hopefully you start to see those things really pay off. There's this waiting. And so I think we're all really waiting this year, aren't we? Aren't we all in this period of just waiting? We're waiting for kids to go back to school. We're waiting for a vaccine. If we have friends or family or we're sick, we're waiting for that to resolve or to see what's going to happen. Um, and in the saddest of situations, some of us have lost friends and family to this virus. And so now we're waiting so that we can be reunited with them on the other side when we see Jesus. And so we're all in this weird period of waiting in some way. And I think the hardest part about the waiting that we're doing now is the not knowing. I think generally when we're waiting for something, we can sort of run the scenarios. We can predict what may or may not happen. And so we think, okay, it might go this way or it might go that way. And then we begin to kind of work those out in our brain and think about what will I do if it goes this way or what will I do if it goes that way? And we can kind of protect ourselves and insulate a little bit from the what ifs. And so if you're like me, you begin to run the scenarios. Well, how could it go? And how will I work it out if each of those things happen? And really, I think a lot of us kind of land on the worst case scenario, right? We think about, oh, this is the one that would be the worst. And that might happen. And we kind of ruminate there and we sit there. 
for instance, I think we can see this in life. For instance, wives or girlfriends, or if you have a, a husband or maybe your kid, um, I think this generally happens more in women. I could be wrong. But if you have someone who told you they're going to be somewhere at a certain place and they don't show up and they don't call and you're waiting and it gets to be like 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half an hour later than what they told you they were going to be, we assume that they are, you know, off the side of the road, dead, and no one's going to find them. And what are we going to do? How are we going to get to them? How are we going to go find them? We don't even know where they are. You know, we kind of run that worst case scenario. Certainly something really terrible happened. And I think we pretty much do that naturally in our brains. Or what if someone comes up to you and says, hey, I really need to have a conversation with you. I can't do it right now. I'm busy. But can we plan a time to have a conversation later? And so in your brain, you're thinking, oh, I definitely, I'm sure I offended that person. They want to tell me that they can't be my friend anymore and that they hate my guts. Like we assume the worst case and that happens in us pretty easily. And I think in this waiting period that we're all in, a lot of us are stuck in that worst case scenario pit. I think a lot of us are there waiting. And so I want to bring us back to the Christmas story. You know, we've been talking for the past few weeks about Advent and what that means in the season of Advent. And the word Advent means arrival. And so at Christmas time, we celebrate the first arrival of God to earth, of God with us in Jesus. And we celebrate that, but we also look forward to the second arrival of Jesus when he comes back to make everything new again. And so Advent every year is meant to be this time of waiting. And I think it's special or different. Maybe special is not the right word. It's different this year because we're all in this weird waiting. But yet Advent has come to us. And I think there's something about the Christmas story that we can see that helps us to wait. So where we find ourselves today is in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And I kind of want to set this up before I even read that. So here we find Mary. She's been visited by the angel Gabriel, and he comes and tells her that um, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is going to overshadow her. She will become pregnant. And I'm like, like, let's just stop there. What does that even mean? And what does that look like? Like, I have so many questions about that, but he doesn't tell us. So we're, we'll go on. So the Holy Spirit is going to come and overshadow her. She's going to become pregnant. And he also tells her that her elderly cousin, Elizabeth, is six months pregnant at the time. So Mary's hearing all this stuff. And her response is, I'm God's servant. Let it be as you said. And so I don't really think that Mary's jumping for joy at this point. If you hear her words, she says, I will do what God says. Let it be. Mary knows the situation she's in. This angel just came to her and told her that she's going to be pregnant. Scholars believe that Mary's probably about 14 years old at this time, and that was normal, and that 
time for for women to be married at that age. But think about what you were like when you were 14 developmentally. And so she's a 14-year-old who's about to be pregnant. She's engaged to be married to a man who, in Jewish custom at this time, she would have had some affection for. She's about to be engaged to him, and she knows what her social situation is like to be pregnant and not married. Even if it were Joseph's child, that would be a problem, but it's not. So she knows the situation that she's in. But at this moment, she says, my life isn't my own. Yes, I'll do what you say. And what something that I love so much about this story is that we get to hear Mary's yes. She responds to Gabriel, Gabriel and she says, yes, I'll do it. In God's story, Mary is invited to this big, scary, crazy waiting. And she says yes to all of that. And so the next thing that Mary does is that she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And I don't think, I think there's a little bit of um, investigating that's happening here. I think she goes with hope. And having said yes, being sure of her yes, but I think she kind of wants to see if Elizabeth is pregnant because Gabriel told her that's what was going to happen. And so I think she's like, oh, let me, let me go check this out. Let me walk in line with this promise that's been given to me and investigate. Let me walk in line with this promise. And so as soon as Mary gets there to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, in Elizabeth's stomach, jumps for joy, it says, as soon as they hear Mary's greeting. And then Elizabeth begins to praise, praise God and praise Mary as they come. Elizabeth, Elizabeth's praise in verse 45, it says, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And so Elizabeth is saying, Mary, you've come. You believed that what God said would happen to you would happen because here you are checking it out, walking in line with it. And so that was enough to set Mary off. (laughs) I I can imagine this 14-year-old girl walking in to this house sort of timidly, sort of questioning, looking around, hoping that Elizabeth really is pregnant. And I think she went there not only for that, but to share with her cousin, there's something that happens to you when you're pregnant with somebody else at the same time. Um, There's like a kindred spirit between you. There's a bond. And I think she was looking to share. I think she was looking for community with her cousin. And so she walks in and then Mary and John the Baptist just kind of confirm everything that she's hoping to be true. And then Mary just explodes in praise. She's overwhelmed with how good God is. So I can feel this tension of Mary not being sure, hoping, wanting to hope. And then just the explosion of worship whenever it's confirmed that what God promised her is actually happening. And so we begin in verse 46. Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. 
for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And so now Mary knows. Before, Mary was hoping and questioning. And at this moment, Mary knows. She knows that God is with her. And I don't think that Mary looked back after this moment of confirmation in the promise that was given to her. She began to praise God for, for what he promised as if it was already done. She says, you forever... Verse 55 says, he has helped his servant Israel forever, forever. What she's saying is, God, you've been working in your people in the beginning. You did in the past. You're doing it now and you'll continue to do it forever. There's something that shifted in Mary. She's sure now. And I want you to notice that nothing has changed circumstantially for Mary. Nothing has changed. She's still 14. She's still engaged to Joseph. She's still pregnant with someone's baby other than his, right? Circumstantially, it's the same, but she knows. She's praising. She's worshiping God in this waiting, in this still scary, still weird waiting. She can praise him and magnify his name. She's sure that God's with her and that he will fulfill his promise to her and to his people. So many of us have never been a teenage girl pregnant out of wedlock. But I think we're all waiting. We all have waited. And we're all waiting now. And so maybe you're depressed and lonely and you're waiting for the time when we can get back together with the people that we love and the ways that we used to. Or maybe you're sick or your loved one's sick and you're waiting for healing. Maybe you do long to be married and you're waiting for a spouse. Mary's example shows us how we can worship in the waiting. The first thing that we can do is move in line with what we already know. Mary received this promise and then she went to visit Elizabeth. And so we know that the church is the bride of Christ, that the community of believers are one of the greatest ways that we can experience God's love here and now. And if we don't know that, we should know that. And so I think Mary went to Elizabeth kind of hoping for community, hoping to move in line with what God is already doing. And so if you're depressed and sad and you're waiting, you need to connect 
to community, to the community of believers who can hold you up, who can confirm the promises that God gave you, who can encourage you. And nobody can do that for you. Only you can reach out and connect. People can provide opportunities, but no one can connect you. You have to do that yourself. And listen, I know that Zoom church and Zoom community is not ideal. I know it. I don't like it any more than you do. But it's what we have. And it's something. And so there are two worship gatherings that happen every Sunday on Zoom. We have a 1030 worship service and we have a 630 worship service in the evening that both happen on Zoom where you can get together with community. You can see at least see other people's faces and interact with other people um, to form community there. And another thing that we're doing is beginning this coming week, we're going to have uh, an opportunity every week for you to connect online with other people in the community. And there'll be different days, different times, different ways to connect. I know there's going to be game nights. There's going to be prayer online. There's going to be, I think Steph is going to do a baking class, which is so cool. Multiple ways for you to connect online. And if you want to know how to do that and where, when, and where those will be, you can connect to our, um, our email announcements, and that will tell you where. And so we need to be connected to the community of believers. We need to walk in line with what we already know of the Lord and where we already know he's moving. Our faith grows as we connect with others. And so the second thing that we can do is remember who God is and what he's done. Mary's worship song is filled with all the things that God has done for her and for his people. And so rather than jumping to the worst case scenario, there may have been moments of that, but rather than sitting in the worst case scenario and thinking, man, I'm pregnant, I'm young, I'm not married, what's going to happen? She goes to visit her cousin. She walks in line with what she already knows and she goes to visit her cousin. And then she goes on to say about all the things she reminds herself and everyone who will listen about all the things that God has done. And so I think God is inviting many of us to remember in this waiting, to remember what it felt like when you first realized that God was offering salvation to you and that he accepted you even as you were a sinner, not worthy of his love, but he chose you and called you worthy because of who he is. Remember what it felt like when you knew you didn't have to earn it and that it was free and that God loved you. Remember the last time you thought you wouldn't make it out of a situation. You thought, man, I can't fix this. It's over or this is it. And then God provided a way for you to be okay and you made it. Remember the last time you were about to harm, do something to harm yourself or to harm somebody else and God made a way for that to not happen. Maybe he brought a friend. Maybe he changed your mind. That's a gift of the Lord. Remember the goodness of God. 
Remember a time when you were doing exactly what you were created to do. There are these moments in life where it just is like, man, I was built for this. I was made for this. That was God's idea to put that in you and to give you the opportunity to do it. Remember those times, collect those times, write them down, think on them. We need them, especially in the waiting to remember. I think sometimes we get bogged down with the darkness and the brokenness of the world because we forget that whenever sin entered the world, we and all creation were destined for death and destruction. That's what we chose. When we chose sin, we chose death and destruction. And everything that moves against that, everything that moves that we see as good, is the goodness of God, is a grace and a gift from the Lord. I think we get really um, sort of distracted by the brokenness, not that it's not real, not that we shouldn't pay attention to it, but everything that's counter to that is God. It's a gift. Our own salvation and our ability to work with God in bringing the kingdom, his kingdom, goodness, here to earth is a gift of the Lord. The love that we feel between friends and family is a gift from the Lord. If our bodies work properly, or if they work at all, it's a gift from the Lord. We need to remember and collect these things. And this is a way that we can worship God in the waiting. So as we close... If you sense that you're waiting in some area, and I can't imagine that there's anyone who's hearing my voice now that doesn't feel like they're waiting in some way, we can engage in two areas. We can move in the direction of God's promise, and we can connect to community, and we can remember the things that God has done for us in the past. We all have innumerable things that God has done for us in the past. We can cherish them and think about them and worship God for them. And so as we do these things, we can be like Mary and we can learn to worship in the waiting. 